And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. Derek Van Riper here with Todd Zola, one of my best friends in this industry. We worked together for a long time at Rotowire. Todd runs Masters Ball, still works at Rotowire. You hear him every Friday on that weekly pod that I used to do with him. It's Clay Link, I think, in that main chair most weeks now. And get XM shows that you're a part of, Todd. But thank you so much for joining me. You know what? Talking to your DVR, this is so far, this is the best day of the year. <laughs> It's early. It's only the third day of the year. Well, I mean, that means it's better than two. Better than the college football playoffs, which were pretty good, actually. So I'm I'm honored. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I've reached that level. I, you know, I, I'm not a. I'm no longer. No, no, never college football was never my huge thing. But I am not not a fan. Not a fan of the college football. So uh, the the bar hasn't been set all that high as far as that goes. But um, I wasn't hungover. I mean, I haven't been hungover years. <laughs> So it's not what one of the days isn't ruled out for that. But anyway, uh, it's always good to talk to you. Uh, looking forward to catching up on some ball. And what's Eno out filling him another commercial or something? He should be doing another commercial. It'd be great for him if he is. But I know he's actually got some vacation that he's using. So I think he's in Hawaii. So I'm, I'm okay. pretty jealous. So. All right. Okay. Okay. He, he's having another great day. Good. All right. That's usually how it goes for Eno. A lot has happened since we last recorded a pot. Our last episode was back on the 20th of December. So we're going to catch everybody up on everything that's been going on while you may have been away at various holiday functions, New Year's parties, whatever it may have been. Uh, and a shocker, the Dodgers kept spending while people may have been away. Yoshinobu Yamamoto gets a 12-year, $325 million deal and it's interesting because Eno wrote the piece a few weeks ago for The Athletic breaking down his arsenal using Stuff Plus. And I think this is one of those instances where Stuff Plus is particularly useful in that I feel like right now comparing leagues, foreign leagues to Major League Baseball and trying to compare them to the broken minor leagues right now with you know, all the different rule changes and automated balls and strikes. The old ways of projecting players coming into Major League Baseball seem like they might not work as effectively. But having more granular data, how hard does he throw? How much spin and movement do his pitches have? How much induced vertical break? All those factors can give you a little more of an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of what a guy brings to the table. We also had international competition recently, so we've seen Yamamoto in the World Baseball Classic. All this is a long way to say. If you didn't read Eno's article, here's the summary. By the raw numbers, Yamamoto projects to have a top 24 seam fastball, the best splitter in Major League Baseball, an elite curveball, a below average cutter, can't have it all, an elite command, which if you just go off that, it sort of explains why we're talking about a guy who hasn't thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball getting $325 million. The numbers are amazing as far as what he did in Japan last year, right? A 176 to 28 K to BB, 116 ERA. Age is a huge factor in why he got this much money too. I look at this, Todd, and I wonder, 
is it possible to underrate someone simply because we haven't seen a lot of them in front of us, right? Because they've spent so much time dominating overseas. Right. You've got the whole crowd. You kind of alluded to it, but he hasn't thrown a pitch yet in MLB. Well, he's thrown plenty of pitches. And as you suggest, <laughs> there are now ways to, to gauge them, gauge the pitch itself. Of that arsenal, the one that catches my eye is best splitter in MLB. Yeah. Right? Now, I'm sure you've talked about it with Eno and others. The toughest pitch for major league batters to, uh, to handle is the splitter. So when you have the best of the toughest pitch to handle, that, that – Right there, that's enough for me, right? I'm I'm sold. So uh, that alone. And then the top 24 seam, you know, when you do the translations, whoever one does them, the the Japanese, the foreign pitchers always seem to, even when you translate, they, you know, man, they got to give up more homers than that. So f- for me, I have to always adjust the home run numbers. And this arsenal tells me, don't don't go overboard. He's still going to keep the ball in the yard. It may not be whatever, you know, 0.3 homers per nine, but don't go, you know, don't don't assume it's going to be over one. That was that was sort of my takeaway after uh, when I went when I actually went to project Yamamoto. Now Imanaga, Shoto Imanaga, he already gives up a lot of homers in Japan. So now I'm a little concerned. If <laughs> is he going to keep, you know, is that going to translate? to the same rate or to, you know, so, so I'm a little bit more concerned, but Yamamoto signs. So we're talking about him. I like the Dodgers destination because do you think that, don't you think they're better able to keep him on closer to a six every, you know, once a week schedule than some other teams may have tried with, with their young pitchers and glass now and Bueller. It seems to be a great place to not force him for 32 or 33 starts. Yeah, so I think between the off days and the depth that they have, if they want to employ a six-man rotation for prolonged stretches of time, or even just occasionally, yeah. just to make sure that they're not overworking anybody in this rotation, it certainly makes a lot of sense. I mean, you think about 2025, keeper dynasty purposes, once Shohei Otani's pitching again, too, if you have Otani plus Yamamoto plus the extension you gave Glass now, and you still have relatively young guys with the likes of Bobby Miller, Emmett Sheehan, right. Gavin Stone. Now Walker Bueller's coming off his second Tommy John surgery. You have this really high ceiling rotation with elevated injury risk, right? Above average injury yep. risk for sure, just based on past histories. Yep. In the case of someone like Miller, it's, it, we know when you sit close to your max velocity, that increases the risk of injury as well. Miller throws really hard, so... Yep. I look at that group and think it makes a lot of sense. It would be like one of the few things that would get me to dial back expectations just slightly. But do you worry less about six-man rotations and skip starts now than you did 10 years ago, just given how much workloads around the league have changed? I mean, in weekly leagues, I know the value of a two-start week is huge. And not having as many of those or even any of those, depending on how the schedule breaks for a certain amount of time, that can be a negative. but this bothered me more in the past. Have you moved on this as well, or is this still something that you really kind of ding pitchers for as far as a, a workload ceiling goes? I mean, you said 10 years. I mean, you could have asked me two years ago, and I, I think we've changed a bit. Um, I'm only expecting 165 to 170 innings, and that definitely you know, probably means I'm not going to get Yamamoto because there'll be someone who just looks at those ratios and 
and he just assumes. I think there was only, I don't know, 30, maybe 40 pitchers that had more innings than that last year. And a couple of years ago, it was like 70 or 80. No, you know, of course, they're not, not all good. But it just so the, just the, the innings have come down in general, so the delta is a little bit less. So, but it, it's weird. It's like I'm, I'm high on Yamamoto as far as maybe numbers go, but fantasy purposes, I may not get him just because, at least projection wise, it's going to be down a couple of three starts from someone else who you, right now, you're going to have to draft him as your, as your SP1, if you will. Yeah, I think that's that's the way he's being treated for sure. Yeah, and to be honest, um, there's guys like Logan Webb who I I I ahead of the market on. So if I'm taking a picture that early, it's not going to be Yamamoto. It's going to be someone like Logan Webb, or I need to decide where I'm falling in Max Freed because I keep going around where innings more than give him more, give him fewer, give him more, and that that could depend upon where I have him land. But the point being, yeah, I mean. I like to give analysis as if I'm in one league and one league only, and therefore I'm not going to get Yamamoto. But let's be honest, I'm I'm not as many as I used to be, but I'm in more than one league. So I would sure love to, even if it's in like a a best ball scenario, I I sure like to have a PC Yamamoto. I think it would be really disappointing if you had five teams to have zero Yamamoto. (laughs) I guess that's what DFS is for, right? You can can go in and, and... you know, build lineups around yeah. him any given day, oh, yeah, and yeah. scratch scratch the itch that way. I, I think I'm in at the current price. I think I'm I'm just wondering where I stop. You know, I, I like the yeah. prices right a lot. It's kind of like the the cliffhangers game where the guy's going over the mountain, the yodeler man. Mm-hmm. And he's going up and he's going up. You don't want to go too far. He falls off the mountain. I I think if if you say he's going to go at the end of round two, beginning around three, closer to pick thirty by the time we get to late March, right? As we know. A lot of the drafts right now are that draft champions format. Draft champions are drafted and hold. There's no in-season pickups. As you start to get to leagues that are higher stakes and have the in-season pickups, we always see pitchers kind of make that creep up. And knowing that Yamamoto's a Dodger, right, that's a huge part of it, too. That's going to drive the price up a little bit. There's always the possibility he comes out and just shoves in spring training, another way that prices can can yeah. jump on a player. So I think at the 3-4 the turn, pick 45, where he's been going these last two weeks, no hesitation. I'm comfortable taking him as my SP1. I might be a little more aggressive looking for my second and third starters because of the innings, but the skills, it's all there. Like Everything you could want in a potential SP1 other than 200-plus innings is there, and so few guys can offer 200-plus innings. I think this is a case where, at least for now, the price is just about right on Yamamoto. Yeah, you mentioned draft champions, draft and hold. Because there's so much injuries, I'm not as concerned. I mean, I, I, I would more, I'm more apt to take the plunge in a draft champions than I would be in a, in a, a league with fab, et cetera. Now I'm moving to the tout wars league that uses innings instead of wins. And I may, he may be downgraded a little bit in that format for me. I get a poll and cause I, I'm just, I think inning pitch needs to replace wins, but I'm in the huge minority as far as that goes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, whatever it's, it's, it, it, I, I'm not going to quit a league cause it stays in wins. Although I should be quitting more, more leagues, but anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking for, I'm definitely looking forward to when the you know early games are over flipping on, whenever he's pitching for the Dodgers and just watching that game, that's for sure. I mean, the Dodgers, the way they've rebuilt this rotation, 
Uh, they have quickly, if they weren't still at the top of the West Coast tune-ins, uh, they've moved back to the top. They've locked that up for the foreseeable future with the moves they have made this winter. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Wedding season is here, and even if you're an attendee rather than the groom, you can still be one of the best-dressed people in the room. With a fully custom suit from Indochino, you can walk in looking like a million bucks, even though they start at just $499. No matter where you're headed, try an Oxford long sleeve. It's soft, comfortable, and breathable. Always important this time of year. And getting a perfect fit is easy. Eno even did it by measuring himself with his phone. If you prefer a premium in-person experience, you can book an appointment at a showroom near you and let an Indochino style guide walk you through every step. Look your best this wedding season at the table or on the dance floor when you wear Indochino. Go to Indochino.com today and use the code RATES to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com promo code RATES to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. Look your best with Indochino. Uh, Let's talk about Chris Sale for a bit. What a surprising deal. Chris Sale gets traded to Atlanta for Vaughn Grissom, and the Red Sox are sending some money along with Chris Sale to cover some of the money that's owed to him in 2024. There's a club option for 2025. Projecting workload, I think, is increasingly something that really separates you from the field. If you can do that accurately, and a lot of that's just being right or guessing right on injuries, um, that that's a huge advantage. Now, the workload, if you look at the last five seasons, throwing out 2020 because Sale had Tommy John that March, right. it wasn't even a full season anyway, 158 was the high water mark for innings. That was all the way back in the beginning yeah. of that window in 2018, which feels like a long, long time ago. So the first question with Sale is how do you even begin to project the workload for him given the Tommy John a few years back, shoulder issues, everything that he has dealt with physically because it is a, a long list of injuries that have slowed him down. Right. Now, some of them are, are not exactly uh, baseball. You know, he's fallen off a motorcycle or whatever it was there. But I forget exactly. Kind of try to wipe that out of my head. Uh, you know, some of them were self-induced, although that was during a rehab and who, who knows exactly. But and then he had other injuries that weren't arm related. I don't know if you could have any more arm related injuries and not have it just fall off. So I think you just have to be you know, a little a little conservative. And again, it's a good landing spot for the trade because the Braves are probably not going to have to sweat out making the playoffs. So if they need to space sail out a bit to have them fresh for the stretch run, they can do that. I'm not even projecting 150 innings. Um, uh, you could you could go over 150 because, well, he's, he's, he's had a little over 100 last year. Add 50. That's just kind of an arbitrary you know, number that a lot of people use. But I, but it's one of those things where if he's healthy, he'll pitch 30 games. If he's not, who knows? So, um, But I, I don't think you can responsibly project him for 30 games. I don't – I, I just, but what I do think is, 
he's going to be a lot better than some people may realize when he does pitch. He was pretty good last year. Had a couple of, you know, it sounds so, you know, cliche at this point, but he pitched into some bad luck and it and it inflated the numbers a bit. Skills-wise, he's nowhere near where he was, but he's still pretty darn good. And he's always pitched in hitters venues. So going to Atlanta isn't going to change that. It's 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 a hitters venue. So I'm not all that concerned about that. So Sale is somebody I'm in on just because it's further down the rankings, and I do think he's going to pitch well. And when he's out, you can backfill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I do see me being in on the Chris Sale uh, sweepstakes this year. Um, and, you know, well, you, it's a homer pick. Well, no, I think it's a uh, – <laughs> it's he's still a pretty good pick. I'm with you, though. I, I think Sale still showed enough skills-wise. Even if he's 80 or 85% of the pitcher he was at his peak, that's still really good because this was a guy that had a a case to be the, the best pitcher in baseball any given year back during that peak. And yep. right now, the market's treating him – I think this is going to change again because a, a good team that makes smart decisions traded for him. I think he's going to creep up a little bit, but the ADP hasn't been bad. It's been 182 is yeah. the overall pick the last 14 days, 52nd among starting pitchers. You're probably going to see that move up, I don't know, three, four rounds in the next couple of months. That wouldn't be surprising at all as long as he's healthy. If he's if he's more of a, an SP3 in a 15-team league, are you still in at the increased price? Because I'm with you. I'm, I'm in if, if the price doesn't change. I think it's a question of how much can he move up before I feel like the, the risk isn't quite worth it. Yeah, he's going to – I think when he's on the mound, he'll pitch like an SP3. So if I'm comfortable – to me, I mean, it's kind of a loose definition, but I want my first three pitchers – I don't want to touch them all year. I mean, I want, and maybe, all right, maybe goes to Colorado and I, I take him out. But my first three starting pitchers are just, you know, lock it and, you know, click it and lock it. That's it. My my fourth starting pitcher, I'll, I'll, I'll manage if I have to. Hopefully he's in more than he's out. But if, if sales on the mound, he's in. So he fits the SP3. Now it's just as he throw the number of innings. And like I said, you could backfill, even if it's backfilling with your third closer that you speculate to get some saves that week. Or just a, a one start favor. A favor you know, I think we need to back off. Use a two start guy. You kind of alluded to before, as far as uh, when we talk about Yamamoto, thirty two starts, twenty seven, twenty six and a half, twenty seven weeks. What you're going to build a strategy on five times a year? Maybe having two starts, and maybe one of those isn't so good, or et cetera. So I I think that the whole nature of building a strategy around two start guys. Is 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 so is, is so 2018. Yeah, yeah, things change. You know, it's <laughs> it's the way it is. I think for me, as long as it doesn't get up above like pick 140, 150, I'm I'm on sale. I think first, you know, back of the first ten rounds is very reasonable for what he should do. Yeah, plenty of run support, good bullpen. You know, with the addition of sale. You look at the competition Atlanta has now for their fifth starter spot. Bryce Elder has to compete for his job. Ronaldo Lopez, who they brought in pretty early this offseason, they've insisted. Alex Anthopoulos said he's going to be given a chance to start. Doesn't mean he'll stay a starter all year. I could see him being more of a, a swingman where he's picking up like two or three innings at a time or yeah. even being used the way the Orioles use someone like Tyler Wells. That could be kind of interesting. And they got a couple of young guys. We saw A.J. smith Shaver last year. I mean, a surprising promotion given how little experience he had in the minor leagues, but this is part of what this organization has started to do in recent right. years is promote aggressively. If they see someone inside that they think is good enough to contribute, they they don't hold back. 
And that makes me think that Hurston Waldrop, who pitched at, I think, at three different levels in 2023, he is also part of that equation. So when you think about this group, you know, with sales injury history, Charlie Morton's age and injury history, and even Max Fried, you alluded to it earlier, it's hard to sort of project his workload. Do you have any favorites that you like out of that group of guys competing for the fifth starter spot who could end up in some combination in the rotation together at some point? Right. Uh, it's what I just... I'm with Jeff Erickson last week on SiriusXM, and we differed in our rankings on Bryce Elder. And my argument was, well, I mean, I don't love him, but he's going to pitch for Atlanta. He's a really good streamer. Well, you know, that that conversation didn't age very well. Oh, maybe it did. I think that of, of the names we mentioned, I think that there's still a couple other. I don't know if, if you know is still there. I forget at this point. But there's still a couple of other you know possibilities. You never know. Uh, we didn't know Spencer Stride. If we'd had this conversation two years ago, we probably wouldn't have mentioned Strider. I mean, that's that's just what Atlanta does. But I think Smith Shalver has a chance to win the job in the spring. But I think so it's kind of like Elder is the fallback. And if Smith Shalver really pitches well in the spring, he could earn the job. I can easily see Smith Shalver going down to Gwinnett for a little bit more seasoning. And like you alluded to, it's not going to take long before they need somebody else. So I think Elder may be in to begin the season. And either Smithshaver pitches so well he displaces him, but there a sixth, a sixth, and maybe even seventh starter are going to be needed pretty frequently in Atlanta. Uh, I don't want. I mean, I'll take these guys in a draft champions format because depth is what it, what matters, and I may draft them in a fab league with the you know intention and maybe not intention, but you know I'm not married to keeping them, and I'll get rid of them if if it doesn't work out. But I think, you know, I don't know. I think Smith Shabra, I think Team Elder will both get double-digit starts. I think Elder's more likely to hit 20, but I think they're both going to pitch. I think the tricky thing with Atlanta, in addition to their aggressiveness with the young players, is they, they seem pretty willing to move on quickly if they're not happy or if they see a better fit. Uh, I think of Ian Anderson as someone where injuries were a little bit of a factor, but, I mean, completely forgotten about after a really impressive uh, stretch to begin his career. Uh, and even it could applies to the guy going back the other way in this trade, Von Grissom heads back to Boston and he's kind of a, a big winner as far as off season moves go. And when you're projecting playing time, Von Grissom in Atlanta looked like he would be maybe a small side platoon partner in the outfield for Jared Kelnick. Right. And now that he's in Boston, he can play his natural position or his best position, second base and potentially be an everyday guy for them, not to mention being a right-handed hitter going into Boston, having that that monster could just rope some singles and doubles off that monster and maybe be a really good source of, of batting average at the very least. Like I look at Grissom as a player who might be more valuable in reality than in fantasy just because he doesn't offer as much power and speed juice as we tend to look for. But if he's getting on base enough to be high in the order, playing every day, and... A good average keeps that OBP nice and high. That could end up being a nice source of average and runs in the, the middle late rounds. Yeah, I'm the guy who paid, I don't know, 17 for him in Tout Wars last year, even after he was announced he's not going to have the job. So you, you don't have to convince me. Um, I, you know, the whenever you hear, you know, his best position is second base, you know, you, you, know, you kind of want to hear he's a good shortstop, but he has to move to second base because of. He's blocked. You don't want to hear. Second base is his best position. Yeah. Although, all right, now, Ron Washington's the infield guru, right? I know he's no longer with Atlanta, but there were reports that Washington wasn't, you know, 
didn't think he could last at second base, et cetera. I'm willing, I'm willing to give Grissom a, a spring with Dustin Pedroia to try to figure something out, make the best of his skills. And I, I think that, you know, yo, that's slighting Washington. No, it's not slighting Washington at all. It's putting my hopes in one of the, you know, really, really good second baseman who, who seemed to do some, some positive with Jaron Duran last year. So let's see if we could, if we could have the same sort of luck with, with Grissom and, the Red Sox have got a bunch of middle infielders. None of them are knocking on the door to take away the jobs of either Story or Grissom. It could open up a trade, but I think the like you said, I think next the next year that's the keystone. That's the double play combo is Story and Grissom, and I can see Grissom hitting up in the order against lefties and a little further down against righties. I think there can be a platoon within the lineup sort of thing. So I, I keep looking off to my my ADP list here as we're thinking about this story. Story's kind of interesting to me. I've been so huh. wrong about him. I, I thought I thought it was a good move for Boston when they signed him. I, there were a handful of the teams I thought could have used him. I know he needed surgery, or that was the, the the concern was the elbow at the time. Moving him back to shortstop does seem somewhat risky, but it also kind of makes me think that they're comfortable seeing what happens for another season or two just because they've got that long-term deal with them anyway. And I feel like he's somewhat forgotten about from a roster construction standpoint. He goes in the pick 170 range right now, these last two weeks. Is Trevor Story still the same guy he was when the Red Sox acquired him in terms of skills? I don't want to say he's the same guy that he was in Colorado because nobody hits the same way in Coors they do outside of Coors, but I think we've learned over time there are some there are some downsides to having to play in Colorado. You know, going on the road is <laughs> actually pretty difficult. So like what have you seen in story around the injuries these last two seasons? Do you see enough there to look back at even twenty twenty one, which was a down year relative for him, and say, yeah, two fifty one, three twenty nine, four seventy one, that's still in there. And with some pretty good speed, because even last season he was ten for thirteen in forty three games as a base dealer. Yeah, I just wrote his profile for one of the 14 places I write profiles. I forget which it was. But you mentioned, you alluded to the, the defense. Uh, it was only 40 or so games. But, man, he looked very good defensively. The the the, the elbow surgery took care of the, the throwing. He could throw the ball again. I don't think there's any doubt at all that he can handle shortstop from a defensive point of view. Um, now, the issue with evaluating story as far as hitting goes is he wasn't so good in his last year in Colorado. So at least, you know, relative to what he was doing previously in Colorado. So was he kind of, but he's too young to be declining, but it just kind of throws a wrench in there that, well, you're going to keep saying, well, he wasn't so good as last year. You need to give him an injury pass for what's happened in Boston. I think anyway, Um, we're, we're kind of back to where we were coming out of Colorado in that, all right, he wasn't so good this past year. How is he going to translate? Is he going to knock doubles off the wall and keep the average up? So I actually think that his ADP is little is kind of aggressive based upon what the injury passed and what he was able has been able to do. You mentioned the running, maybe that's what that's what's being propped up. But I was kind of surprised when I you know I thought, wow, this is a the market is not giving. That much. All right, granted, he was what first or second round with Colorado. The markets. I don't think the markets discounting him all that much for how unproductive he's been over the past couple of years. 
I wonder at this point, if you were trying to rank, what does the market care most about in a, in a hitter's profile? Like, does it, does it boil down to things as simple as in 2023, Trevor Story had a 9.7% barrel rate. And back when he was really good in Colorado, that's about what his barrel rate was. Like, is it just a few indicators like that that you look back and say, well, he's doing is striking out more. He's missed a lot of time and he's striking out because he's missing time. So he still runs well. He's going to play every day. He still barrels the ball. I believe in Trevor's story. Is it actually that simple? Now that StatCast is there and the numbers are there, I'm an average exit velocity guy. And I'm more so I'm a component average exit velocity guy because, you know, ground balls, line drives, fly balls. I want to know that 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 component in an uppercut swing tends to have a higher fly ball exit velocity just because the, the the swing is on the same plane as the as the ball trajectory which is always going down. So I that's kind of my my granular go-to now that the information is sort of there on 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 and that's on Fangraph Fangraphs too, but generally on Statcast. So I'll look at the exit velocities and the hard hit rate, and use those as kind of my, well, those were pretty good. And um, the expected numbers, they always get thrown off in Fenway because that wall kind of, you know, what's expected in one park will happen differently <laughs> in Fenway. So I don't, I don't, the, the expect, unless you're like Raphael Devers, who's been in the same park for X number of years, you know, over the three years, and you can look at the, the trend, uh, that's one thing. But moving into Fenway, you know, I, oh, look at Tyler O'Neill. I mean, I, I'm not. It's it's really hard to tell what's going to happen there. But I don't know. I I thought I just story the the batting average and the power. I I think people may be expecting a little bit too much. And if it's if it's they think he's going to run and that's why he's going to play or that's why he's being drafted high. That's that's fine because I think he is going to run, but. I don't think he's guaranteed to hit in the top four of the order either. I don't know. I'd like to I'd like to think the Red Sox are still a move or two away, but I don't know. He may be like 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 Grissom, and maybe he cleans up against lefties and and is hit further down against righties. I think it's still a work in progress, but I think they'd like him to earn a top four spot. I think the thing that is somewhat encouraging to me, I, I like WRC plus just to better contextualize how good a player is relative right. to the league. And, and even in 2022, a 100 WRC plus story was league average. It didn't seem like he was league average because he didn't meet expectations and because the K rate jumped up as much as it did um, coming off of the injury. You know, it was a mess. He had a 48 WRC plus, but I, I don't want to take what happened last season and, and weight it too much. I don't want to throw out, more useful, what I think is more useful information than than 43 games coming off of a, a major injury. Um, so I'm okay where he's going right now. Like I'm not avoiding Trevor's story, right. but he's not the must-target player that he was for me going into Fenway, going into 2022. I love story two draft seasons ago. Uh, last thoughts on Grissom. He is shortstop only to begin the season, right. pick up second base eligibility within a week or so. Uh, earliest he's gone is pick 260. I think the overall is more like a 360 range, so not going to cost you a whole lot. And now that the playing time's opened up, he will move up in terms of ADP. What do you make of, of Grissom? Is he someone you want in in 15-team mixers? Do you go down as low as 12-team mixers if the lineup position breaks the way I suggested earlier, where he ends up being kind of high up in the order? Or is it, it going to be one of those cases where the way this team is built, they mix and match a lot, and Grissom moves up against lefties, but he drops 
against righties and ends up bottom third of the order, you know, on a semi-regular basis. Well, keeping in mind that that's not a bad place to be uh, in in the in a Red Sox in Fenway Park. Some other teams maybe, but you're still the lineup's still going to turn around and you're still going to get some some uh, run production down low. I'm interested. You mentioned shortstop. He'll have second base. He's. I think he's being probably drafted as a middle. Well, not. I mean, not as a middle infielder, but in the you know when he you, you're sliding him at middle infield. He, he's probably your third middle infield that you're drafting, which is nice when he when he has second and short because now if either of the other two get hurt, you don't have to look far for replacement, and you can just use a middle to to, to backfill. So I think that's kind of a nice little boon. I'm interested. Uh, I, I I definitely am interested in Grissom. I, you know, I started higher on him than others, and maybe I, I can. Everybody and goes up a bit, maybe because I was still higher on him. I continue to go up a bit, um, so I, I do think I will be having some Von Grissom on some mixed league rosters. Uh, you know, in 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 the in the oh, I haven't uh, do I uh, I have yeah I've done one draft in the near future. But this point, I mean, we've usually done a draft together, but that league dissolved. Uh, I, I've only done one magazine mock and one you know, air quote, real draft so far this year. I'm usually at least five. I am in the process of, of getting my hitter rankings all good to go. I'm making pitcher rankings too. I'm more, I'm more worried about the hitter ones because I can just take Enos if I want to, <laughs> to have a working draft of pitcher rankings. I just want to have a little more done before I start doing a, a draft champions. This is late for me too. Because yeah, usually the league we used to do together, which, which folded unfortunately, it would start as the season was ending. It was the best way to just get ready for the start yeah. of, of the next season. A couple toss-ups, real quick. Von Grissom for 2024. Von Grissom versus Jeff McNeil. Thinking again about middle infield sort of comps. Who would you um, rather have? I'm taking Grissom. At that point, I'm going for the upside, the category juice. And I, I'm hoping that I don't need to address batting average at that late, at that point. I just, it's poor roster construction if you need Jeff McNeil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I expect a little more in the other categories from Grissom. So I, yep. I'm with you on that one. Jorge Polanco versus Vaughn Grissom. This is interesting because Polanco last year, you know, he kept every time he came back into the lineup, it's like I, I just have a feeling he's going to get hurt again. And he kind of did. But what got lost is he played really well when he was healthy, better than I thought when I ended up looking at the numbers at the end. I think I'm still. I think I'm still on Grissom because at that point we're still, you know, you're not married. You can, you could, you think you can replace a player of that ilk at that point. So I think I'd still rather go for Grissom. You probably have the guy in your roster as a utility or multi and multi multi position anyway. So I'm going to go for the upside. Uh, I'm more of a safe early, take a chance late. I know that's. I mean, I'm that that's in the majority. I'm I think, but that's that's my general mindset. I think I would take Polanco. They do pretty different things. Big time power from yeah. Polanco. Th- like a three year surge in barrel rate. I mean, he's yeah. been double digits yeah, since twenty twenty one. Yeah, it it surprised me. Like you said, you know, I mean, I, I I was I was unaware that he played as well as he did last year, Polanco. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah, some pause. There's it. definitely some pause there. It's one of those cases where I think both players are being underdrafted. So I'm happy to get either one of them where yeah. they're going. Uh, Grissom versus Brendan Donovan. Donovan, okay, so I will always think of Brendan Donovan as an early season player that you, you talk about on a rundown or on a show because he's doing something really interesting at the exact right time. 
and he did it with some supporting skills changes where I think the, the ground ball rate had come down and he's getting a little more power right away at the beginning of the season. And the immediate thought was, oh, hey, Brendan Donovan took the best parts of his profile and fixed the bad parts. And now he's Frankenstein himself into being a really good fantasy player. Uh, and he, he carried that all the way to 11 homers and five steals in 95 games last year. Um, it, it's still, to me, it's like a slash line that looks a lot like something Grissom could do. 284, 365, 422. But isn't Grissom just going to play a lot more than Brendan Donovan? Yeah, no, I think that, and that's a difference. Yeah, Donovan kind of reminds me of Ty Wigington back in the day where you're doing projections. I don't know where he's going to get his 500 plate appearances. I just know that he is. Right? I mean, it's like, I don't know who's going to get hurt. I'm not taking any plate appearances away from anybody else, but I'm over-projecting St. Louis because I know Donovan's going to play somewhere. So I, I, I think that the playing time is going to be there more so in a, in a, in, in a deeper, a deeper mixed league. But I'm, I'm with you at least. I mean, we can't just assume Grissom's playing 160. There's there, you know, if you're looking at a, a range of plausible outcomes, struggles and gets sent down or struggles and is in a platoon is a plausible outcome for sure. Mm. But I think there's a lot more on the upside that, you know, between, you know, trading for him being sale. And to be honest, there's just not, not a whole lot there at second base to challenge the challenge. I mean, uh, you're going to move Rafaela in from the outfield or, uh, I mean, there's just not a lot of, a lot of competition. I expect the Red Sox will pick up some, you know, maybe they already have some kind of a utility guy, but I don't think there's anybody to challenge Grissom. I just want to see William Abreu play a lot because I am <laughs> I'm more of a let's just see what happens with the Red Sox. I don't have a, a rooting interest in it, so yeah, you know, if it goes sideways, it doesn't doesn't hurt me. It doesn't it has no impact on me whatsoever. Uh, I am just a happy person regardless. Uh, last one: Grissom versus J.P. Crawford. I had J.P. Crawford was on uh, the Factor Fluke, or I think it was, I don't know if they call it that anymore, but it was the panel I was on at first pitch this year. And Crawford, you know, went to driveline, added some oomph to the swing, and it was reflected in the numbers, right? We saw significant improvements for him in barrel and hard hit rate. Got to 19 homers, more than he hit in the previous three seasons combined. Doesn't steal a lot of bases. Good OBP, so it could be high on the order for the Mariners again. So you could you could see solid average runs. Playing time looks safer, relatively speaking. The bottom probably doesn't drop out playing time-wise on J.P. Crawford, but Crawford versus Grissom for you as a toss-up for this year. That's interesting. Now, the drive line puts a bit of a you know wrench in the in the in the analysis. I've got expected when I when I put my name in a little thing there that I used to profile just so I have the numbers. Um, if he was lucky in a certain category and he was lucky both hits and, and home runs, it turns red. And he's got a lot of red in his profile, which <laughs> means, you know, but again, expected numbers are nice, but they're not verbatim. And I know they're supposed to take Safeco into, into effect, but even so, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not just throwing him out the window because expected he was supposed to hit 14 or 15 homers and he hit 19, you know, eh, but I'm not necessarily just discounting him. And same with hits. He got about five or six more hits than air quote. He was supposed to, I think it comes down. Well, uh, the, the parrot, the comparison heads up, I suppose I got 13 homers, three steals. 
to me, that's that's Grissom's floor. So and and Crawford has shown a little bit of injury health risk over the past couple of years. So I think I'm ahead. I'm not against Crawford himself, but again, we're at that point in the draft where I want the upside, and I and I think and, be, and because Grissom is going to have second and short, that adds just a little bit more oomph to the uh, to the equation. I think I'm still on Grissom there, but I'm not off of Crawford. Fair. Totally fair. So it gives you an idea of just where things likely stand with Grissom now that the situation has become a lot better for him playing time-wise with this move to Boston. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's shift the focus over to their move the Red Sox made. Lucas Giolito signed a two-year deal with the Red Sox. He can opt out after 2024, so if he pitches really well, I think we're talking about him as probably a coveted free agent on the market I hope Sometime so. around this time next year. Hey, that's, that's what you hope for, right? <laughs> if your team signs a, a bounce back candidate like Giolito, you just want everything to go right. You want him to opt out. You want him, you want him to go get the Carlos Rodon big contract yeah. after he pitches for you, right? That's that's the goal. It hasn't been a fun stretch for Giolito these last two seasons. The home run rate went through the roof. I mean, it was like really bad. Uh, two full season ERAs that flirted with five these last two years. Pitching for three different teams probably didn't help. And I just wonder, like, when you look at the guy that we saw from 2019 to 2021, mid threes, ERAs, you know, 110 whip or below, is he just gone? Is that just a thing of the past? Or do you see enough signs and indicators within the profile that you could see a good bounce back from Giolito with this fresh start in Boston? I think the latter. Now, I mean, I don't think we see the Giolito that that first year after the year after he was the worst pitcher when he became one of the best. I don't know we, that we see that. Um, I'm a. I mean, you're probably a ex Saris guy. I'm a. I'm a Sierra guy as far as my uh, <laughs> expected pitching go. You know, Sierra FIP more so than X than than X FIP than than FIP to me. 
Um, and you know, he's the Sierra's been three seven to four two, which isn't great, but it's still below league average and it's still playable in fantasy. Now, I don't love streaming at Fenway Park because it is a a, a hitter's park, but I you, know, you mentioned the home runs. I hope teams load up with left-handers against Giolito because he doesn't really exhibit splits. And I want lefties trying to hit home runs in Fenway as opposed to righties. You know, I, I just uh, at least at least at home. It's a lot – unless they really pull the ball, it's, it's a lot harder to hit a home run. So I hope teams play the platoon game with Giolito and, and try to take advantage. I mean, 41 homers last year, and he really didn't express or display any splits, exhibit splits. He was – Equally philanthropic to lefties and righties. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah, everybody Elmer's against him. Yeah. Uh, cautiously optimistic, maybe. I, I I have him. Almost kind of defining league average as far as ERA and whip goes. But again, you know, in an AL, AL, AL only, that's playable. You know, a mixed league, that's playable, but, you know, you have to be careful with it. And, you know, he, you know what does is, what is Ron Chandler and HQ say? Once you show a skill, you have it. You know, once you show – you don't have a skill, you have that too. So I think there's a little bit of a misleading, a misleading statement. But the point being, uh, there, there, there is a plausible outcome. Is you know a three seven ERA. It's it's within the realm. But so is four seven. Yeah, I, I think that's where you can pretty easily understand why he's going outside the top two hundred overall. I don't think going to Boston's going to help his ADP. It may actually hurt it a little bit. I could see other people moving up and Giolito sort of falling because of other players becoming more interesting. I think people worry about the matchups in the AL East, even though with the park changes in Baltimore, the lineup is so much better. You don't look at that as an easy matchup, even though it's not necessarily a park that you fear. The Rays always seem to find a way to mix and match and be tough. Going into Yankee Stadium, tough spot. Blue Jays, I know they took a step back last year, but they're still good and they could get better. They could bounce back in a positive way. So... I just feel like compared to where he started last season, like being with the White Sox and having AL Central matchups to lean on where you, you liked all the parks and opponents for the most part, this is a radically different starting point for him. Would love to see the the positive stories about him a month from now that he shows up to spring training, he's he's up a tick, he's got a new pitch. All those things could matter. He's had to he's he's come back from worse in the past. So showing that ability in the past does mean something. But I do think he's more of like a fifth or sixth starting pitcher. Definitely not a set it and forget it type. Uh, not somebody that I would see like shooting up the draft board and, and becoming a fixture in my lineup again. I think that'd be a very, very surprising outcome if things uh, turned out that way for Lucas Giolito. Let's talk about Frankie Montas. People seem to really like this move. The Reds get on the board with a pitcher. They've had a very busy offseason. We know pitching in Great American Ballpark is not ideal. It boosts home runs. But if... It boosts home runs. Usually, other balls in play are not rewarded as often. Field smaller, less ground to cover. We've seen a little bit of Frankie Montas outside of Oakland. I'd be more nervous about this if we'd never seen him pitch outside of the Coliseum. I mean, you see him on the right. road, but he went through an eight-stretch start with the Yankees. Home run rate jumped up a bit. That was post-trade in 2022. Came back, pitched, I think, one outing or something in 2023, but... This is just a gamble on health as much as anything else. So I'm, I'm curious, like seeing Montas at the end of last season, thinking about where he is. It, it's another like risk board profile, a little bit like Giolito's, but it's injury more than skills loss. And I think I'm more comfortable gambling on 
the injured guy than the guy that was seemingly healthy that fell off a cliff for two years. Yeah, this one's tough. Um, again, the performance is the performance is probably better than those of us with with with, with aging memories may remember because he had a, the 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 season he the last season was like a four point oh five ERA, but the expected numbers were a lot better. He pitched in a little bit of bad luck that year. Um, had a little bit of a high BABIP. The, stri- the strikeout rate was down. So I think that's going to be the key to me is the strikeouts were trending down. Do they come back up again? And th- you're right about the trend of parks that you know, that are hit home run parks. Like Yankee Stadium is plays neutral. I do think Gab plays a little bit positive for runs, though. There's not quite as much of a, of a delta, so I'm a little concerned there. But I think that's kind of built in. I mean, the injury risk kind of wa- swamps the – the the park. I mean, you, there's already risk there. The ADP is going to reflect it. So I don't know that we have to double ping him for the park as well. I think it's kind of baked in. It's kind of I'm taking a chance, and he just it's it, it all gets rolled into that. Not really a huge home run concern to begin with. So um, yeah, you're right. To me, it's about the health. And with with in the draft champions, I'm not as apt to go after Montas because there's more likely to be a dead roster spot. Than in a fab league where, all right, when he's healthy, I have him, and, and either I put him on the IL or I drop him if he gets hurt. Good call on the the park factor, by the way. A 114 uh, run index for the StatCast park factors. That's a rolling three-year average. Higher than yeah. it was a few years ago. It used to be like a tick above average. That's well above average. That's yeah. third. Only Coors and, and Fenway uh, of the last three seasons have boosted runs more than Great American Ballpark. So that does... Hurt a little bit more than I thought. I, I think the price is so low. Yeah, it's it's built in. You're getting enough of a discount. You can take the chance and uh, mix and match them a little bit. I, I think you, it's weird. It's weird to draft a guy and say, yeah, I'm going to use him always on the road and sometimes at home. But that that might be what you do with Montas to begin the season, just based on uh, where things are at right now. There used to be, and this, you know, credit Gene McCaffrey for this. There used to be a five percent. Change in skills between home and away, just intrinsic uh, change in skills. That that's you know that's home field advantage. Now a lot of that was umpires just favoring umpires favoring the home field pitcher. It's gone down now that umpiring has been is being graded. The 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 mistakes or whatever the pit, the the difference between home and away is not as much as it used to be. And, I mean, there's still comfort level, etc. But the umpire favor the, the 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 difference because of the favorable umpiring has kind of gone away. So there still is an advantage to pitching at home, but it's not by the numbers as much as it used to be. I remember reading a, a study, and it was a multi-sport study. the The advantage of being at home, yeah, it, it was similar to what Gene put out there. It was about a five percent edge just based on the calls you get, and it varied a little bit from sport to sport. If I remember correctly, I think basketball had the biggest advantage, oh, yeah. just the impact of basically the psychological impact as a, a human <laughs> official, not wanting to be hated by a 10 or 20,000 people sitting yep. around you. Like, like yep. that's what it boiled down to. And it was, yep. it was pretty fascinating. And uh, seeing that, I mean, if you think about a ball game, yeah, there might be more people there, but it's a little more passive in most ballparks compared to uh, a basketball game. It's a little, it feels more laid back. So I don't know. That plus the grading, probably a big factor in all that. Uh, let's get to a couple more stories here. Like the Padres, for all the money problems they have, they keep adding to the bullpen. 
Yuki Matsui signs a five-year deal with the Padres, and I saw a note on Rotowire on Tuesday, and this is from a story that Dennis Lynn of The Athletic wrote, that it looks like, for now, Robert Suarez is actually the projected closer. Suarez actually got more money than Matsui a winter ago, like $46 million for five years. Matsui got $28 million. So I guess that makes some sense, but now we're seeing some rumors and rumblings that the Padres might not be done, that we could see... Uh, Wusuk Go actually signed coming out of the KBO. So there's one more potential candidate that could enter the mix. So uh, as you look at these, at least the two on the roster right now and the third possibly on the way, do you have a clear favorite that you'd be drafting for saves right now in that Padres bullpen? <laughs> this time last year, I couldn't leave a draft without Suarez. Right? <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm putting my flag on Suarez now. He, and and it could, he could be the guy. I am, um, you know, the old, you know, to be, you know, cliche, but, you know, how many save ops are they going to get if they only have six position players? Mm, I, I know they'll, they'll make some, out. <laughs> they'll make some, <laughs> I know they'll, they'll, they'll make some moves. They'll bring some people in, but, um, you know, and that's just a good bullpen to be in, in general. You know what? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I know people shock when they hear, I mean, Eno gets into dugouts, but they, they're shocked. Then we hear that we do most of our work from our desks. We don't, uh, we don't, we don't talk to a lot of players. At least not live. So I, I'm at the whim of the stories and and trusting people that I know maybe have a little bit of an in with the, with the Padres organization. I just I don't know. Um, and the road, like you said, the rotowire blip maybe gives the uh, the edge to go. I I don't know. I'm probably going to give Meech thirty percent of the saves for my projections, which means they're all in the speculative range for me. And I guess we'll see how things flesh out. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Matsui's 5'8". <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not very big. Lefty. So. He's lefty, left-handed. Yeah. So like a 5'8 lefty closer would be unique. Billy Wagner. Yeah, not impossible, right? <laughs> like you could you could see something like that. I, yeah. I think one thing I've looked at for years is if try, trying to understand what what separates relievers in the eyes of, of teams that, that want a dedicated closer and it seemed like money was one thing that would often be the tiebreaker. If you had similar skills, similar stuff, making more money was the thing. And part of that is if you saves are really heavily valued in arbitration, as we've talked about on the show over the years. And if you've got someone who's already making money and you can give them the saves, that means somebody else that's important in your bullpen in the 6th, 7th, or 8th inning, they're not getting those saves. They're not getting as much money in arbitration. Not every team cares about every single dollar quite that way, but... It is something that you have to consider is, is how much more have they invested in, in this guy versus uh, the alternatives. Now, I think I'd go Suarez at this time. Uh, I don't think the cost is really an issue. I wonder how much the managerial changes matter right. as far as right. preferring one closer to a committee or if, you know, like, is this going to be one of those teams that there's a nightmare all season, even though they have good relievers. I think you could see it playing out that way. But I, I I like Suarez. I think the stuff is filthy. I think he looks like a prototypical closer. I think you can mix and match with everybody else, play the matchups effectively. Um, they they went through it with Josh Hader. It might not be 100% of the save ops going to one guy, but it could be you know 80% plus going to Suarez and scraps going to the other members of that bullpen. That would not be all that surprising. Let's talk about the other... Things happening with the Padres for a moment, though. You mentioned the lack of position players. We're going to focus on the starters behind the likes of, of Joe Musgrove right. and Hugh Darvish, right? We talked about it when it happened. Big haul of pitchers coming over in the Juan Soto deal. 
Michael King, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, and Drew Thorpe, the prospect who at some point in 2024 could see the big leagues. It wouldn't be all that surprising. Now that you've run the projections and, and had some time to let this trade sink in, do any of those guys pop? I think King has been the trendy, since the end of last season, the trendy one of the, of the bunch. So I'm, first off, I'm just curious, how good is your projection for Michael King? Like how, And how many innings are you projecting Michael King for? Because I think that's a huge question with him as well. Yeah, if I, if I, off the top of my head, if I recall, the market is a little more aggressive than I am. And it's he was just so good for like seven starts. You know, and is that enough? And I know he picked up a couple pitches and changed the arsenal. So there are some tangible explanations for the success. But I mean, was he 29? He's not not a spring chicken anymore. Um, you know, you're I know that you're not that much over 29, so it's like, oh no. <laughs> but uh I I mean I'm more than double 29. Uh, at this point, I got ten. I got ten on twenty nine now. Yeah, okay, I'm, all right. Okay, I'm, I'm well, that's right. I, sometimes I think people the same age they were than when I met them, pretty much. Yeah, so, so that's awesome. That means I'll be like twenty five <laughs> forever, which is incredible. Yeah, no, uh, Matt, uh, gee, you know. So, uh, but anyway, I'm now a a sexagenarian, so um, I, I I can double king and, and then and, and go in a little bit more. But anyway, I, I don't know. I mean, I have one hundred and forty innings, which I mean, it could be light, it could be too much. Just don't know. I mean, he did throw 104 last year. He had enough as a as a reliever, and I don't remember if he got in the playoffs or not. So we had a few more innings there. And I mean, I I probably maybe a light. I I probably should go plus 50 over what um over what he did last year. Again, it's kind of an arbitrary number, but even even though the Verducci effect has been debunked, that plus 50 is still kind of the baseline that we use to you know. All right, let's give him 50 more than he. Than he pitched than he had last year. I do. I mean, I've got him below. You know, three seventy six and one one nine WHIP are, are really good. You know, Petco yeah. Park helps. So I'm doing a, a pretty positive translation. A lot of it's because he was really good. King was as a reliever. So if you just do the the, the the formulaic projections, the numbers could carry through. And I even did the the, the rule of seventeen where. I don't know if this has been updated, but I was, I think, on Fangrass a few years back that pitchers' skills declined by 17% when they moved to the, into the rotation from the bullpen. So I'll just kind of, you know, override my skills and add 17% and then project that. Even doing that with King, the numbers are favorable. So, um, but even, even given all that, I felt he was being drafted a little too high. But it's within that range where you, you can't go by your lists, you know. At that, <laughs> at that point of the draft, you, it's it's I, you know, I I've got some secure pitching. I need to take some chances. So he's a guy to take a chance on, on which to take a chance. Yeah, the the cluster he's a part of right now. This is just outside of the top sixty pitchers overall, includes closers. It's probably about forty five or so starters going ahead of him. You have Michael King. With Chris Bassett and Jordan Montgomery just ahead of him. Safe and safe, right? Yep. And you've got Merrill Kelly, Bailey Ober as the two behind him. Well, if I'm in the draft, Ober's not available. <laughs> I, I, I I, mean, I, I may be too high on Ober, but I don't understand at this point. Maybe it's because the Twins you know, sent him down and, and, and used uh, Dallas Keuchel instead last year. Maybe it's a... It's it's more of a twins thing than it is an over thing, 
but I, I, I don't get it. I know he doesn't have the prospect pedigree, but all he's done is pitch well over here. But that's kind of beside the point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a cop-out, but it comes down to construction. If I have a Tarek Skubal as one of my first pitchers, I want a little safety at that spot. And I, then it's then it's Bassett and Montgomery. If I got if I have uh, Logan Webb and Aaron Nola or a couple of safer guys, I'm taking a shot as early as my third or fourth starting pitcher. I like that as a, a philosophy overall. Like consider the amount of risk you've taken on to this point and uh, adjust accordingly. I think the other number that is is relevant to me with Michael King, I don't know how much other people care about it. I look back at the minor league workloads too because when a guy comes up and he's you know, the sixth or seventh starter and he works out of the bullpen and we see a few years of up and down workloads, the numbers start to get really skewed. Can we reasonably project the same volume of innings he threw as a 22-year-old back in 2017 in the minors. He threw 149 innings. I mean, Michael King worked a pretty full minor league season right. back then. He went 122 and a third plus that other, geez, he went more than that. He went like 160 in 2018 across three levels in the Yankees organization, right? And then you factor in like, well, 2020 is still in our five-year history, and that messed everything up. So I just wonder how much we can use past workloads as a more reasonable target for how much a team will let a guy go compared to the old Verducci approach of add 40, add 50 to what he did just last year. Right. I don't, I mean, the numbers, Verducci numbers have been debunked as far as that goes, but I still think intuitively, you know, I mean, you're not going to add a hundred and 10 isn't enough. So, (laughs) I mean, so it just kind of, it kind of works out to be in that range. I said I've got I've got 139, 140. So again, kind of alluded to it earlier. A projection should be the weighted average of all plausible outcomes. And he could get hurt. He, you know, there are there are reasons, and and there's a lot more area to below 140 than there is above. So I I think in general people you know and should we should you draft? In Chris Liss's terms, the 90th percentile projection, I think there are times to do that. But the actual, you know, people don't take chances on projections. Good. I, you, that means that it's a good projection. Um, you know, you, you don't, I want someone to go out on a limb and, you know, no, well, then you want to have them write a profile that says there's upside, right? You don't, I don't know that you want that in the projection. So, yeah, King is, int- I'm not out. I'm not out on King, but I'm not going into draft saying, all right. I need to draft these 12 players and then draft Michael King. Did you see anything with the other pitchers that the Padres got in the Soto trade that that jumped off the page? Anything with Vasquez, Brito, or Thorpe that made you think, hey, there's there's some deep league value here. There's some late round value we're targeting here. Or in the case of Thorpe, you know, maybe there's a clearer need in San Diego now and he's going to move a little faster being in their organization as opposed to being with the Yankees. Yeah, I know that you have the the luxury of having Keith Law on your on your team, as it will, I you know, and, and I know you still rely on James Anderson a bit from RotoWire. If James, you know, James has had Thorpe as as premiering this year, debuting this year. So in a draft champions, when I'm into the, I just want to, I just need a, a potential starting pitcher. Thorpe is definitely on my on my you know reserve list, you know, deep reserve list, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, Vasquez and Brito. Brito was one of those guys that, I mean, may have been a little bit hurt by Yankee Stadium in the lineups. I am curious to see how he translates 
in San Diego. Now I know, you know, the Dodgers are tough. It's tough going into Colorado. It's not the best place to easiest division to pitch in. But I, I think uh, I, I'm, I, I'm curious about Brito Vasquez. I, it was just pure number scouting. I don't even recall if I ever even saw him pitch. Not that me watching him on TV, you know, for three innings would matter, but I don't recall seeing Vasquez pitch at all. But Thorpe definitely in, in draft and hold. And Brito, yeah, in draft and hold as well, but earlier because I think he's going to pitch. Yeah, I, I think I'm warming up to Vasquez just because we've seen bigger strikeout numbers from him as he's moved to this system. Like right. Brito might be one of those guys that chews up a lot of innings for the Padres and is decent yeah. in terms of ratios, but lags a lot in strikeout rate. I do like that as a, a righty that gets just crushed by the platoon advantage at Yankee Stadium, that is no longer a concern. Big park factor swing for Johnny Brito. It becomes a lot more streamable, at least in San Diego, even if he's not draftable in a lot of the formats people uh, end up playing. I'm uh, with Deion Thorpe, though. I think there's a ton to like there. And I, I, the Padres aren't punting. They, they, their window is still open. They're still a good team, right. even though they've had to you know, cut costs and, and make a lot of significant adjustments. Uh, let's stay on the West Coast. Let's get to one more topic here. Mitch Garver signed a two-year deal with the Mariners, and this looks like a really good opportunity for him to just play a ton yep. because they have a catcher. They've got Cal Raleigh. They don't need to let Garver be more than a backup catcher. And if he's mostly a DH, or if even he's the everyday DH, and they just let him hit, I think good things can happen. I think the only thing I'm somewhat lukewarm about is just the park. It's a difficult park to hit in for for anybody, but especially for, for a righty. But Garver hits the ball really hard. He makes good swing decisions. The previous career high in plate appearances was 359. And ordinarily, I wouldn't project more than like 400 for him if a team was trying to catch him a lot. But I think you can push that number. I think you could see 500 play appearances for Mitch Garver this year, and he could do some pretty good things with him. Right. I got him in the mid-400s, mid but I think that easily could be low. Um, and I may, it may, I may even go up uh, when I keep continue to review. Depends on what else Seattle may do. How much of a competition does he have for DH? I think he's a DH. No, you're right about Raleigh, too. I mean, he's good offensively and defensively. So not that Garver's that great defensively. But you may knock on wood. He picks up. Uh, is he going to get twenty games? That's tough. I don't know if he gets twenty for, to be catcher next year. Maybe. Yeah, like it, yeah. It's yeah. You could you could see it being like right around that number. I think it, it almost depends on like if Raleigh goes on the IL for yeah, a stretch. Yeah. Then Garver gets to twenty, and I, I don't, I'm not, not rooting for that. It's just more of like how does it happen? I guess we'll know. One thing that'll tip you off might be late in draft season, depending on you know whether they actually hold three catchers or not. If it's just Raleigh and Garver, yeah, right, then right. that's a pretty good sign that they're going to get him to 20 games. Right, and I think he gets five in season eventually mm -hmm. if he does lose it. But yeah, you, I mean, you, you kind of alluded to it in our, in our in our little bit of an outline in that the park translation knocked his some of his formulaic batting average projections are going to be low because they're strictly park factor driven and not everybody's affected linearly or proportionately. So I, I actually, I overrode my initial projection for Garver thinking there's no way he's going to hit that low. I mean, he's not, he's not going to win the league batting average title, but you know, in the mid two forties is where I have him. He was 10, 15, 20 points below that strictly by park factor stuff. And you, you, you talk about the power. He's one of those guys that has, you know, 40, it's been over 45% fly ball rate, which indicates an uppercut swing. 
if you got the upper dot swing and you hit the ball hard, that means you hit fly balls hard. And I'm not saying safe, uh, not safe go. Uh, T-Mobile isn't going to cost him any home runs, but I think he's still got the power to to produce twenty something home runs if he does approach the 500 plate appearances that we're hoping. Yeah, yeah I think that's a great way of, of looking at it. I mean, I think the the only part of his profile that that really makes me think the average could be somewhat underwhelming is that he is a miserably slow runner. Like he was yeah. 13th percentile <laughs> in sprint speed. Um, and, and the reason, okay, so the, the reason this is important is something that Eno has pointed out on the show before. Infielders can play you differently when you're that slow, right? They can play further back. When infielders play further back, they can take away a few more hits. Like that's the, the main thing. The, the most extreme example of this, Albert Pujols, right? Like late career Albert Pujols could not run you could play him far back. A lot of catchers are like this. I think Gary Sanchez gets this treatment too. Doesn't run well. Play him back. Average comes out lower than you expect. It's why you see, if you look at the XBA versus the BA leaderboard, look at that difference chart on, on StatCast on a given time over at Savant, you'll see a whole bunch of catchers who are underperforming yep. based on how hard they hit the ball and what they should be getting. Well, where, where they're played is a huge part of how they do that. But uh, Garver... I liked him a lot as a, a potential DH signing going into the offseason. I would have liked to see him go to a more hitter-friendly environment. It could be worse, right? This isn't quite the same park it was back when Adrian Beltre's power <laughs> got sapped years ago. Oh, that, hey, that turned out pretty good for you, though, right? Because that, that's what led him to Boston for that, that brief time. Yeah, I mean, it, with Garver, if you start a league 15 teams in one catching... He's kind of borderline for me. He's right around that 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 fifteen number, you know, fifth, rating fifteen. You could go for the upside, and he could be a top fifteen catcher. Uh, I say this because because DVR is known to favor one catcher leagues, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like I like one. I would if I were the commissioner league. I don't want that responsibility. <laughs> I I'm on I'm on the side of what James Anderson did for the RotoWire Dynasty Invitational a few years ago. Fifteen teams, one catcher, two utility. Uh, I think that's a more fun way to play. I, I just think it's a better game that way. Uh, I understand the merits of the two-catcher league. I think you're probably right on as far as the one-catcher league goes. I think there is like a floor upside conversation because the guys that go ahead of him ADP-wise, you know, Gabriel Moreno, Logan O'Hoppy, Bo Naylor, Mitch Garver is going to outperform at least one of those guys, if not the entire group, but you can dream on the potential of all of their guys a little bit more. And some of it depends on your categorical needs as well, yeah, depending yeah, on what you've yeah. done with the rest of your roster. But like Bo Naylor could be a lighter version of JT Realmuto, categorically speaking. Maybe the average is what lags, but that power speed combo is so enticing. Garver doesn't have that. He just has that big time power. It's it's a more prototypical good catcher profile that Garver has, but now that juice in, in playing time could actually top 10 catcher is still a possibility for me. So I, I think you're at least considering him in a single catcher league. Uh, if you decide to wait at the position, it, he'd be, he'd be an argument in favor of not investing early because he might not be that far behind some of the top catchers from a power perspective, even though you know two fifty average is very much the, the likely sort of outcome for him. No, you're right. And as a right-handed batter, I, again, I, he's not, he's not going to fall in the platoon. But, you know, I don't think he's going to catch or play 160 games either. Todd, uh, we've got uh, a lot going on this draft season. You've got Masters Ball up and running, and I just want to give you a chance to let everybody know, like, what do you have at Masters Ball? What do you got cooking up right now? What's available currently for people who subscribe? 
Yeah, I launched November first. We are um, kind of we are preparing for draft champions at this point. I mean, I'm not. Let's be honest. Most of my subscribers earlier are drafting the NFBC, but it's not exclusively for NFBC. Uh, we'll start to get some people preparing for their keeper and dynasty leagues, but it's it's mostly a, a draft prep uh, site with uh, projections, profiles, and a lot of tools to help you draft in. It's not Rotolab where it offers suggestions, but I've got some cool draft trackers for all the best ball leagues out there. I've got uh, kind of a become kind of a best ball fan. I mean, what are my two favorite things? Drafting and doing nothing. Um, <laughs> I say, use, use that line as much as I can. Um, guy from Underdog even used it at the uh, at the first pitch. But anyway, uh, I say I'm cutting down leagues. It's a lot of it because I'm playing a lot more a lot more best ball. But anyway. Um, I'm, uh, I'm having, I'm also doing some work with Fendity Index and the reason that's important, I think to mention is part of what I'm doing them is writing a free article every week. So I'm not behind the firewall. So once a week I'm posting some stuff on fantasyindex.com and it's, it's kind of fun cause I'm, I'm, it's a, a chance to go back, go back to my roots a little bit. Cause you know, I don't write about some of the basic stuff anymore, but that's, that's kind of what I'm doing for fantasy index. So it's kind of fun to have a platform. To uh, you know, to go back and review, but but with a you know with a 2024 twist, some of the stuff I wrote about 20 years ago. But you know, with with a you know instead of looking at baseball influence's subjective line drive rate, I get to to, to mention Statcast and and just describe that. So it, that's that's been kind of fun. Uh, nice little uh, boon to my resume working with Fantasy Index. Very cool. And Rotowire again this season too? Rotowire again this season too. Um, doing the show on Saturdays with Eric Haltman on MLB Network Radio. And I've been kind of told that we'll be back for the Fantasy Network once they make that switch over to baseball after the Super Bowl. And uh, still do my my stuff for ESPN. Get Looking forward to the to launching the, the draft kit with ESPN coming out uh, in sometime this month. Awesome. Well, tons of great places to check out Todd's work. You can keep up with all of it on uh, Twitter, at Todd Zola. Todd, I appreciate all the, the time today, and uh, appreciate you stepping in for Eno. Uh, been, a, been a good time, and, and I've, I, I'm sorry I don't say balls that much. <laughs> no one does. Uh, Eno is the, the league leader in, in saying balls based on that commercial uh, that he put out there a couple months back. But uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. On our way out the doors, the heads up, if you'd like a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $2 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That offer is good for the first year, so be sure to check that out if you don't have a subscription already. Draft kit launching, I think, around the time that the Super Bowl happens based on the, the last note that I saw. We'll get an update on that shortly. Our draft kit, the Rates and Barrels audio draft kit stuff comes out, I think, picture weeks two weeks from now? Two weeks from two days ago. So yeah, the 15th of, of January, I want to say. It's coming up quick. So uh, get excited for that. But that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you next week. 